Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Please pray with me. Jesus, we love you this morning. Thank you so much for this prayer and your word and for your spirit. I pray that your spirit would be present this morning. That you just bless each one of us with a desire to be closer to you. Please make us wise and humble to receive the words that Brian has for us. Send us out this week, especially as home groups start. And just make us closer as a community and as a church. And make us more reliant on you. Jesus, we pray all these things in your precious name. Amen. All right, good morning, everyone. There are some amazing seats up here in the front. I I won't spit on you, I don't think. I hope not, but you're welcome to come on up if you'd like. Let's do something with, that we haven't done in a really long time. Let's, um, let's stand together and read this out loud together. Can we do that, please? If, you can, um, if your eyes are good enough to read it. All right, so you just got to read it out loud. And then um, this will be our last Sunday that we talk about um, pray like Jesus. Okay, so Matthew 6, 9 through 13 says this. Pray then. No, okay, we'll start over. I'm not going to do the countdown, though, okay? We, 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 we can just figure it out, okay? All right. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, and deliver us from evil. All right, thanks. You may be seated. One of the things that's really fun about having kids is um, you get to tell kids about things about your childhood. And this is a really strange memory, but I told the boys this and they thought it was the funniest thing. But when I was a little kid, I thought the passage said, lead a snot. Like from your nose, I'm like, why does the Bible say that word? Because I just memorized it so fast. And so there are lots of... um, there are lots of misperceptions about prayer. Um, and so really, um, this morning we'll finish up on the Lord's Prayer. But I really want us to be able to think about how important prayer is. And um, what I've tried to do the last few weeks is really just try to wipe my understanding of prayer kind of clean. And like say, God, help me to start over and just really try to go deep into um, the words of Jesus, who teaches us how to pray, how to talk to uh, our Father. So, good job reading. Thank you for doing that with me. If you haven't memorized it, um, that's a great thing to memorize. We, we'll talk about um, that it is not intended to be some ritual that you just mechanically recite, but that you understand the principles that Jesus is talking about. Okay? <clears throat> so, this morning, we will conclude and look at the last part of that, and we will focus our attention on three principles that Jesus 
um, points out here. Number one, that God will provide for us. Number two, that God will pardon us. And number three, that God will protect us. I'm normally not a fan at all of like starting each word with the same letter, but it just kind of works out this time. So that God, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus teaches us to pray here that we are to ask for things. And this is kind of the more, maybe the part that we think about more often that God, that God really does show us here. Jesus teaches us here that we are to ask for things, okay? <clears throat> Excuse me. Before we get into that, though, just a few introductory thoughts about prayer. Prayer is probably the hardest thing we do as Christians. It's much more difficult even than standing up here and, and, and talking in front of people because when you are praying, it is just you and God. It's the real you. There is no one else there to impress. There's no one else there to be <clears throat> embarrassed about or nervous about. It is just you and God. It is like the real you. And we're not wired that way. And so just a few introductory thoughts just this morning as I've been thinking this week about prayer. Number one is this. <clears throat> prayer will be the hardest thing you do in the Christian life. It will be the hardest thing that we all do. And when I say that, we need to understand that if you don't have some discipline in your life, some structure, some routine in your life, prayer will go away. Everyone is busy. Everyone has friends and responsibilities and jobs and schoolwork and things to attend to. <clears throat> and prayer will always go away. So we have to know that if something is difficult or challenging to do, you have to have structure in your life. And I know that um, you know, in my late teen years and early 20s, I was beginning to understand the value of discipline, of self-discipline, and no one's going to tell you what to do. And so you need to learn and understand the value of this, of how important it is each day before you get out of bed, before you rush off to be responsible people that we all want to be, just to spend a few moments in bed before you get up and start your day in prayer and committing your day to the Lord. And then when you go to bed at night, just giving the stresses of our life over to Him. And throughout the day, being mindful of prayer. So, number one, prayer will be the hardest thing in our lives. And because of that, it requires some structure, some discipline in our lives. <clears throat> number two, prayer shows the true condition of our hearts. Prayer shows the true condition of our hearts. We can all hide a lot of things in our lives. Some of us are very skilled at creating a reputation, an image, um, a public persona of what we want, of how people um, will think about us. But prayer, prayer is the real you. There's no hiding. Number three, prayer punctures a hole in our self-sufficiency. Prayer punctures a hole in our self-sufficiency. And the temptation for us all is to strive for that. Some of us, it's more difficult than others to say, hey, can you help me? I need help. Prayer reminds us, it forces us each day that we are dependent on God to live our lives. Last thing I thought about this week was that prayer is something that all of us can learn how to do. 
In fact, we know that it's quite refreshing to pray with somebody who hasn't been a part of church tradition and they just speak honestly and forthrightly without any of the words that we learn in church. And you can just speak to your heart. One of the things, if you look throughout the Gospels, one of the things you'll notice is that when the disciples spent time with Jesus, one of the things that he often did was he was praying a lot. And the disciples would notice him. He would go off early in the morning. He would go up into the mountains. He would, be, he would pray through the night. All, all different places throughout the Bible. And I, um, when I look back, our, the, the gathering now, the church is about five years old. And when we first started, one of the things that I, I would always do, I have trails that I like to go hike at and, and walk on here locally. And I would spend a lot more time and I'm not sure what happens, and I can try to think through it a little bit more carefully and try to understand how things happen, but I can, I can guarantee you, I can tell you when I look back over my life and very beginning early on months, I would go on walks by myself a lot and just pray and pray that God would guide us and he would build this place. And what happens then as more people come and more things are happening, prayer begins to fade away. I can tell you, I can... I can let you in on a little secret that, that sometimes we are attracted to personalities. We are attracted to charismatic people, good-looking people, intelligent people, all these things that we all naturally are attracted to. And I want to say to you that more than anything else, you need a pastor who prays. I don't care how fit he is, how tan he is, how many tattoos he has, how much hair, cool things. Listen, forget that. Okay, listen, in all seriousness, we like, we like rock stars, we like cool people, we like talented people, all that stuff. It doesn't matter. You need, if, you're just, if you're leaving here someday, and that's great, go to a church where the pastor prays more than anything else, where he's studying the Word of God, and in his own personal prayer life, he's praying. Because, listen, anybody, any pastor can do this. They can fake it. And I'm a teacher too, and I know you, in the classroom you can fake it for a while. Everyone can pull off the fake job for a while. And really, honestly, I've just noticed in my own life just busyness creeping in and things. And so that's why just even the last few weeks, I just have to draw our attention back to prayer about talking to God about what's going on in our lives. Prayer is the greatest and most significant way in that we get to know God. There are so many issues and things going on in our lives that are important, good things, and I understand that. But please understand, prayer and studying God's Word is how you get to know God. And there is nothing else more important than any of our lives. We are all equal on this. I don't care if we're single, married, kids, unemployed, employed. I don't care where you are. Our greatest need is that we get to know our Heavenly Father. And one of the ways you do that is through prayer. So I don't, I understand this. Guilt is never a motivation for change, right? We all know this. Guilt works for about a day and then we go back to our own habits. And so my hope is that during this last couple of weeks and then this morning, we will understand that spending time regularly in our own 
private, personal lives, talking to God about what's going on in our lives, listening to Him is one of the most important things you can do. Okay? So, if you have your Bible, we'll be looking at the last part. We spent um, two weeks, I think it was, looking at the beginning part of the Lord's Prayer. And here are some of the big ideas. Number one, we looked at the idea of adoration, out of, of praise, that the Lord's Prayer starts out with this idea that God, we pray that God makes the affections of our heart to God as the ultimate. Do we have the quote that I think um, I mentioned last Sunday? I'll just read it again. This was last Sunday, just the idea of worship. A person will worship something, have no doubt about that. And right, there are all kinds of things we worship. Friends, relationships, employment, advancement, where we live, the neighborhoods, all kinds of things that we can make the ultimate in our life. We may think our tribute is paid in secret in the dark recesses of our hearts. He's talking about the idea of what I was saying earlier. You can fake it for a while, but whatever you worship, eventually it will come out. It will come out that which dominates our imaginations, our thoughts will determine our lives and our character. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship, for what we are worshiping, we are becoming. Emerson understood the same thing that Jesus understands about human nature, and that's why Jesus starts out this prayer saying that we must direct our attention, our emotions, our will to making God the most ultimate thing in our life. It also includes submission and thankfulness. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And Jesus does not, again, Jesus does not expect us, in fact, it's potentially dangerous just to become mechanical and just recite this and to the point where it becomes emptiness. And so what is valuable, which is, this is truly valuable, is learning to put the Lord's Prayer into your own words. And that's why I use words like, instead of hallowed be your name, God, I want to see you as ultimate in my life. I want to see you as the most beautiful thing in my life. I want your name to be the most heavy thing in my life, to be the most meaningful thing in my life. Whatever words you choose. And once we get to that place, once we've moved our heart, our mind, our will to adoration, to thankfulness, to submission, we then get to the part where Jesus says, you need to ask for stuff. That Jesus really wants you to ask for things. So number one, Jesus says this. The request is this. God, please provide me with my daily necessities. Provide me with my daily necessities. The first thing we talk about after praying and asking God to be the ultimate thing in our lives is to ask him for the material needs of our lives. We all need certain things. Just think about when, when Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, he's talking about the things we need to function in our day-to-day -day life. That we are to talk to God about those mundane things. And I understand that where we live today, most of us are not struggling with food and bread and those kinds of things. But it goes beyond that. It, goes, it includes those things that we need to make our lives happen. And what's significant here is that Jesus says, he goes from ultimate to the most mundane things. Why would he do that? 
Jesus is showing us here that God cares about every area of your life. The most routine things of our life, we don't get any more routine than eating. He cares about that part of your life. He cares about every part of who you are. And so when there is something lacking in your life that you need, Jesus wants us to come with boldness. He wants to bless you. He wants to be good to you. He wants to be good to us more than we know. Jesus says that this is how we connect God to every part of our lives. It's when we talk about our needs. One of the things that we just know from living life is that our world is broken. That things get turned upside down sometimes. That things get confusing. Things get difficult. And that's why Jesus says he wants us to talk about our needs. It's really interesting in 1 John, the Apostle John writes about that our joy can be made complete in Christ. But there are so many things in this world that want to create a disconnection between us and Christ. Busyness, self-centeredness, pride, laziness. A preoccupation with things that, that ultimately don't matter. These are the reasons why we lack joy in our life is because we, we don't understand that God wants us to connect to just the most meaningful, meaningful and meaningless routine things of life to Him. He is our Father that wants to give us good gifts. And some of us don't even ask. He is your loving Heavenly Father who wants to bless you. Let's pay attention just to one thing that the passage does not say. The passage does not say that Jesus promises to provide for the luxuries of the world that we might want. Our Heavenly Father is not Aladdin in a genie that we get to rub and ask for things. He doesn't promise that. He does not promise comfort. He doesn't promise luxury. He promises that our daily needs will be met. It's interesting, though, if you have your Bible, look up just at, at verse 8 for just a minute, and we see some tension here, some possible tension. When we see, Jesus says in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. But then he says, verse 8, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask them. Something really interesting is happening here. Jesus says to ask for the most regular needs of our life, even though your Heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Why is He doing this? There's all kinds of things here that Jesus is trying to teach us. He's teaching us about ourselves. The reason why He tells us to ask for things, even though God knows what we need, is that it gets to the very heart of prayer. It gets to the core of what prayer is about. And that is that Jesus wants to connect to every area of your life. It is what the heart of prayer is like. I came across a really interesting example that caught my attention this week from an old, dead Canadian preacher, Dr. A.B. Simpson, who I've never heard of before in my life, gave some insight into this. Let me just share a little bit about this. He gives insight into this passage when he reminds us that God does not give us one lump sum of grace 
for us to use for our whole life. It's not one big large deposit and there you go. The reason why we, God does not do that is because we would soon ignore the giver of the gift and enjoy the gift instead of God. He went on to say, it would not be like that. It would be very dangerous if God were like that. We would enjoy the gift and forget about God. God is our Father, and he wants us to talk to him. Every year in May, I lead an eighth grade D.C. trip, New York trip, and we have a parent meeting. And every year... I say the same thing, and it always creates a little bit of tension because it never goes exactly how we want. But the parents will say something like this, please, Mr. Kelly, have little Johnny, little Susie, call. Please, just once a day, just to say hi, check in. And I say, yes, I'll do that. Okay, students, do you hear what your parents are saying? They want to talk to you. Did the students call? No. Did the parents get a little frustrated? Yes. And behind the frustration is a little bit of sadness because they want to talk to their kids every day. They want to know how they're doing. They care about them. They know they're probably safe. The kids are off having fun doing their own thing. Think about this for a second. We're just off doing our own thing, having fun. And the parents are back home thinking, I just want to hear just want to talk to you. I just want to know what's so much fun, what kind of fun you're having. I want to know if you lost your wallet and you don't have any money so I can send you some more money because I want you to have fun. Dr. Simpson uses the example of a modern-day parent of a father or mother who gives their child an inheritance. Think about this for a moment, just the danger of this, and hopefully this doesn't happen, but if for some reason someone was 20 years old and they were to get a multi-million dollar inheritance and what they would do with that and what potentially would happen to the parent-child relationship. Most likely the 20-year-old would enjoy the money and not recognize where it came from. Jesus is saying this, here's the point of this daily coming is that this might be hard to understand if you're younger but God wants you to talk to him. He wants you to come daily to him. It would be like this. The parent, here's the better way. Here's how the parent would maybe more wisely handle this. They would say, here's some money for the month to get through the, through the college semester. And then if you run out, just call me. I'll, I'll help you out. That's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus knows everything you need. All he wants you to do is talk to him, is come to him daily. Not enough for the month, not enough grace for the month, not enough gentleness, not enough patience for this coming year, for the day. And if we think about things more like long term, we get what we want, we take it, and we just go on. And Jesus says, you don't understand the point of prayer, the heart of prayer is that God wants to spend time with you daily. He's like the parent longing to hear from the child. Just wants to know how the day is going. The thing that made you sad that day. The thing that made you happy that day. Jesus is saying this. We want to start our prayer life 
making God the ultimate thing in our life, but then immediately bring our Heavenly Father, our loving Father, into the day-to-day routine of our lives. Jesus goes on next. The second request that we are to pray for each day is, God, please pardon me as I forgive others. Or, God, please forgive me as I forgive others. Jesus says, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. This is really getting to the heart of what it means to be a Christian because it forces us to live in reality. Reality is this, is that we are all deeply flawed. I am, you are. And when Jesus says that the part of your regular prayer life is, Father, I'm sorry. I spoke too soon. I did something insensitive. I thought something that was not helpful. I did something. One of the things, and we'll try to bring some clarity to this, one of the things that we know as a Christian is that when we become a Christian, the gospel says this, that your sins today and into the future are forgiven. We call this justification, that you are declared righteous, that, that, that if you have repented of your sin and you have put your confidence and hope and trust in Jesus, that your life is white clean, that you are as white as snow. Like just turn your Bible. Here's a, a passage that you should underline if you haven't already. Um, turn to Psalms 103 that helps us understand this about God. Psalms 103 says this. I'll start in verse 11. Psalms 103, verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Verse 12 As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That is the heart of the gospel, that Jesus took our transgressions and he atoned to the Father. And so because of that, when God sees you, he sees the accomplished work on the cross. But Jesus says, while Jesus is obviously being consistent here, he's saying this. The things that we mess up on in our day-to-day life, they create a disconnection between your father and you, a disruption in the relationship. You can think about this in this way that maybe it's helpful. You can think of a marriage relationship. The ideal marriage, and I'm going to say this is true for us all, that there is unconditional love for each spouse. But if something happens, if there is a, somebody is not completely honest or an unkind word or something is, someone's being selfish, there's a disconnect. And while your spouse still fully loves you and is wholly committed to you, there is a disruption in the relationship. Jesus is saying the same thing can happen in our relationship with God. Come to him regularly and be open and honest about who you are. The Bible talks about sins of omission, the failure to do something that you should have done, the failure to take responsibility that you should have taken responsibility for but your selfishness prevented you from taking responsibility. 
The Bible talks about sins of commission, overt things, things you've done that have been hurtful towards other people. Jesus says that the habit of our life should be that we come in humility to our Father and we come clean. The second part of that verse is, as we have forgiven our debtors. This is really the heart of Christianity. If you are holding grudges and bitterness in your heart towards other people, I encourage you to look very closely at your own heart because Jesus uses an example, and I will share it here in just a minute, that says you, you might not be in the relationship with Christ that you think you are. Let's turn that just for a second. Matthew chapter 18, just turn a few pages. <clears throat> we'll look at it just, just quickly. Matthew chapter 18. Maybe you've seen this before. Matthew chapter 18 is the parable of the unforgiving servant. And we'll just go through it quickly. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servant. <clears throat> when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and the payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, humility, imploring him, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And out of pity or kindness for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him his debt. This is a picture of us and a relationship with our father. But when that same servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When the fellow servants saw that what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on you, your fellow servant as I had mercy with you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he paid all of his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus takes so seriously the idea of holding on to bitterness and a lack of humility, a lack of forgiveness. In fact, what's really interesting is if you look at verse 14, Jesus goes back to this again. It's not in the bulletin, but it says this. But if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others' trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. Jesus is talking about an attitude here of superiority. It is the idea of who do you think you are that you think you can come to me, your father, and ask for forgiveness, but you hold on to bitterness and you manipulate people and you hurt people and you won't offer them forgiveness? Jesus is putting his hand on every area of our lives. He is our loving father, 
that wants to bless us and to give us life and life more abundantly and to enjoy it. And Jesus knows that if you are holding on to grudges, yes, it's damaging to that other person as well, but you're damaging your own heart. You're damaging your own life. 1 John chapter 1 tells us to confess our sins and that he is faithful to forgive all unrighteousness. He promises to restore people who come to him in humility and say to their father, I'm sorry. The last thing we see in the Lord's Prayer here is a prayer for protection. God, protect me when I go through trials. We've got provision. God, provide for my daily needs. We've got the idea of forgiveness or the need to be pardoned. And Jesus concludes with the idea of protection. The word temptation here is a difficult word to translate. It can mean trial, temptation. It can mean test. The idea is this. Father, protect me from things that will pull me away from my true life with you. Jesus is saying that when trials or tests come, that is a time of particular attention where we are more vulnerable. I came across a really interesting story. I read a story, I read a sermon this week from Tim Keller and he talked about this passage and he told a story that just really stuck with me and it's kind of brief but I'll share it with you. And it was a story about a man who was in prison for life and what had happened was he was driving home one night from a late night in a country road and he, he hit somebody and he didn't know what had happened and in a, a moment of panic and fear he continued driving on and what had happened was he hit a child and the child eventually dies and according to um, paramedics and fire department they believe that if the child would have gotten help immediately, probably would have lived. So through a series of investigative actions by the police, they find out who this guy is, and he is found guilty of his crime and sentenced to life in prison for a hit and run of a child, and probably deservedly so. The, inter, uh, the journalist interviewed the man and, and talked about how he's doing inside and about his journey and, and struggling with the guilt. And the man told the journalist a story about his life. And he said, I remember, I recall a time when I was a young boy and my dad had a secret watch, a really, really neat, cool watch that was his own personal watch and it was always in his nightstand by his drawer. And one day as a boy, he went to go look at it and was playing with it and he accidentally dropped it and broke it. And in a moment of fear that his dad might do something, he put it all back together, the pieces, and put it in the little piece of cloth and hid it back in there. And a few days later, the dad went back to look at his watch and saw that it had broken and grabbed his three boys together and said, one of you probably did this. What's going on? And the two boys that did not do it said, Dad, I promise, we didn't have anything to do with it. And the one boy dug in his, heel, his heels and said, I didn't do it, Dad. I promise I didn't do it. And he said he recalls that moment in his life as an example 
that for all of us, each of us will face little trials, little temptations, little seasons of hard things that go on in our lives. But someday, there's going to be the big thing that's going to happen. And he said, I regret that time in my life early on when I should have just confessed to my dad that little thing that happened that I did, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Because he felt like it was a series of these little things that was happening in his life that when that big thing happened, hitting a child, he just took off and ran. As a teacher, I see this sometimes. I, I still distinctly remember a time when I was teaching and I had two people sitting up front and they finished their history test in about 20 minutes, exactly the same time. And I'm like, okay, that's a little, little fishy, right? So I, I say, hey, let's go outside and talk for a second. What, what was going on here? How'd you guys finish the test exactly the same time and so quickly? Uh, uh, we just we studied, Mr. Kelly. I looked at the one boy. I said, called him by his name. I said, look at me in the face. Are you being honest with me? <gasps> no, Mr. Kelly. <laughs> Starts crying. <laughs> I'm sorry. The girl? No. She dug in. She dug deep. She was not going to be honest about cheating. And that's a perfect example. My heart, man, I hope that God has done something in her heart. Because listen, every day, every day, all the men here think about pornography. Every little day, those are, that's your little test. And then you get married, right? Okay, that's the big test. Think about being honest with our money. Every day being honest with your money, and then an opportunity comes to be dishonest with your taxes. There's your big one. Jesus is saying this, that we regularly have little trials and temptations in life. And Jesus is saying this, pray that God will protect your heart during these little challenges and tests. So when the big ones come, you will be faithful. It is not if, big tests or trials come, but is when. And the little ones come all of the time, and they can be traps. And Jesus says, my friends, my children, pray to your heavenly Father that during these little times, these seasons of little things and big things, that he will protect you from evil. Some translations say the evil one. You go through these times of challenge, of trial, of temptation, sifting through, processing through with the understanding that your Heavenly Father loves you. That is how you persevere. That is how you come out on the other side through, through times of trial, through times of difficulty. You have to know, you have to go back to the very beginning. When we talk about our approach to prayer, the approach to prayer is our Father. And I can tell you this, I mentioned this I think last Sunday, I don't care what, I don't care what my boys ever do in life, that they can always come home to a mom and dad that will love them, always. And if your parents are still living, I know that's true for them too, that parents have an unconditional love in the exact same way. You just have to be more thoughtful about this. You have to be more careful. You have to be more, more, a little more analytical. Impress deep into your heart that your Heavenly Father loves you more than you know. 
You have to work that into your life. Because there will be times of trial, of temptation. We see this even in the life of Jesus when he says, Father, take this cup from me. He's going through this challenging time, this most difficult time. He, he is on the road to the cross to die. And he says, take this from me. But then he concludes and says, yet not my will, but your will be done. So we're praying for protection of your soul. We're praying for protection of your life, of your marriage, of your relationships. That when there are little things that come into our lives, when there are big things that come into our lives, that God will protect us. The Lord's Prayer is a revolutionary prayer. If we can just kind of wipe clean all the things we've learned and go back to the heart of Jesus and what he wants us to learn here, that God wants to be the ultimate thing in our lives, that he is our Heavenly Father, but he wants us to come to him daily. Not as if some person put a $10 million inheritance in your bank account, but every day saying, I need your grace just for today. And he promises to be faithful. He promises to never leave us or forsake us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the words here where your son Jesus teaches us to pray. Father, I pray this morning that no one would leave feeling disconnected from you, that people would not feel guilt or burdened, but they would experience your love as a Heavenly Father loves His children. Father, I pray that we would be a community of people who are praying, who are seeking you out daily. That the distractions of this world will never take the place of you in our lives. Father, we say we love you, we pray the Holy Spirit would press these truths into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.